0: Welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Seth Bosted. happy to be broadcasting from the David Rubenstein Atrium at Lincoln Center. <laughs> The event tonight is called Vanishing City, and this has been months in the making. I'm really, really excited about it. Uh, Relevant Tones is a radio show and increasingly a a web stream that's about contemporary classical music. But as we know, music and art in general do not happen in a vacuum. And so every once in a while, we like to pull the camera out, as it were, and look at some of the factors that affect music, that affect art. And I think where a composer lives is, is a big thing that affects the music that affects the composer. So we're going to be talking about the cities that composers live in, especially New York City, and we're going to feature composers who flourished in New York in the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s. This uh, time period, by the way, was not chosen at random. Uh, I moved to New York about three years ago, and I think the the number one thing New Yorkers have said to me when I say that I moved here is, you moved here too late. It's over. (laughs) <laughs> New York is over. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, I'm still having a good time. It's been a good three years. Uh, how, can it, how can it be over? Uh, it's an interesting idea. And so I say, well, OK, so what was the, the, the glorious time period of New York? You know, And, and uh, almost all of them say the 70s and 80s. The city was a free for all. You could do anything. It was just amazing. Uh, so we're going to celebrate four composers who flourished in this time, the kind of storied East Village downtown music scene. They are Julius Eastman, Arthur Russell, Tui St. George Tucker, and Ben Weber. And the first thing that we're gonna hear is piano sonata number two. The composer is Tui St. George Tucker. I'm really, really immensely uh, pleased to have learned about her music. And uh, this project has been so fascinating to me on a personal level to get to know these composers and and to really delve into this subject. Without further ado, Roger Trefuse will now play piano sonata number two, subtitled Peyote Sonata by Tui St. George Tucker. That's a performance of Piano Sonata Number 2, subtitled Peyote Sonata by composer Tui St. George Tucker. And we heard Roger Trefoos perform. Roger, great performance. Thank you. Thank you. So just quickly, uh, that piece <laughs> There's a yes. lot of density. I hear a lot of jazz, it sounds like to me. Yes. Uh, there's even some early music. Tell me about the influences of this piece. The interesting thing is this piece is not from the 70s. It's
1: from the 50s. It was written in 1952, possibly 54, I'm not sure, but it's unbelievably ahead of its time, I think, in, in the way it combines so many elements. Uh, Tui was a, a virtuoso Baroque recorder player. Uh, she also was very much part of the downtown world of Lamont Young, Jackson McGlow, people like that. You know, I, I studied the piece with Greta Sultan, Tui's very good friend who, who Tui wrote the piece for. I played it for Tui, and I never actually asked Tui. I mean, I knew it was called the Peyote Sonata because it was in some way connected to an experience of taking peyote, but I never really asked her any direct questions about that. And I've been thinking about that a lot. And I think that all of these time shifts that happen in this piece have something to do with that kind of combination of places and times that I, I've never taken peyote, but that you can experience <laughs> in that kind of a mystical or whatever you want to call it experience. And I also think that even these combinations of, you know, the beginning sounds like the, a little like Thelonious Monk to me. Then you have these very complicated and dissonant uh, chords and, and rhythms, and then you have like a Bach fugue. Well,
0: you're you know, don't write right about the peyote etiquette. You never ask anybody about their peyote experiences. It's uh, you know right. It's a private right. thing. And you know <laughs> the piece ends with. The left
1: hand plays 16, and the right hand's supposed to play 15 against 16. And I assume that's only something you could do on peyote. (laughs) uh, (laughs) (laughs) So please, another big hand for Roger Trifus.
0: So just a quick word about what we're gonna hear right now. Um, so uh, I, I'm just calling these three short pieces, but these were actually fragments by Arthur Russell that I found in the Performing Arts Library at Lincoln Center across the street. And it's a fascinating experience to to have gone through his manuscripts, his poetry, there, there, there's so much stuff there. Uh, Russell was an incredibly prolific musician. This this is not in any way representative of of what he was doing. In fact, this is really kind of the opposite because this this is uh, a a very, again, kind of dense pieces. These are very short constructions, and I, I put them on the program because I think it's interesting to hear we're gonna have a more substantial piece by Russell later on in the program, but it's just sort of this tantalizing glimpse into where he might have gone as a composer. So here are three untitled short pieces by Arthur Russell performed by Chaley Smith and James Kim. As I say, a a very tantalizing glimpse it would be a very interesting project to uh, to complete those <laughs> as a composer, see where, where Russell might have gone. Uh, so those are fragments, three fragments that we're calling three short pieces here by Arthur Russell, who was a, a phenomenally interesting musician, somebody that, that uh, it was so interesting for me to learn about as I was researching this project. Um, and uh, again, we have a piece later on the program called Experimental Music for Ezra Pound, uh, which, which is a little bit more representative. Not that uh, any of the music that we're hearing tonight is necessarily representative of these composers, because one of the things that all four of the composers definitely have in common is that they were interested in a lot of different things <laughs> and so there's no way to encapsulate these composers so i, I really encourage everyone to find out more up, about the composers arthur russell has a ton of stuff on youtube he was a pioneer in in, in so many different things in, in uh, dance music uh in in uh, electronic music i mean he was so far ahead of his time in the electronic field in the studio what he was doing with production was absolutely Uh, People thought he was from Mars, basically. And now it makes perfect sense. Uh, So anyway, three short pieces by Arthur Russell. We're going to hear a piece now by Ben Weber. Uh, Ben Weber was a a composer who thrived in in the village. He did move uptown uh, and spent, uh, I think, several decades there towards the end of his life. He was a composer who knew the other composers on the program. And the piece that we're going to play is, uh, well, musically a bit of a departure from what we've heard so far. It's a beautiful piece. It's called Lyric Piece. lyric piece by Ben Weber, performed by Adelia Narcjieva, Suleiman Tikali violins, Chaley Smith on viola, and James Kim on cello, music of Ben Weber. Uh, Gorgeous piece, lyric piece. You're listening to a special broadcast of relevant tones from the David Rubenstein Atrium at Lincoln Center through the WFMT radio network and streaming worldwide on WFMT.com and also on Facebook. I want to thank our streaming partners, Access Contemporary Music, Lincoln Center, New Music USA, Opera on Tap, and Open House New York. To subscribe to our podcast or for streaming versions of this and all episodes, or if you want to get a playlist of the music that we featured on the show today, you can visit relevanttones.com. Today's program is Vanishing City, and we're featuring composers who flourished in uh, the 70s, 80s, and 90s in the village, which in many ways is this kind of storied scene. Uh, a lot of creativity came out of that that time. Uh, so next up is a piece by Arthur Russell. This is another piece that I found over in the Performing Arts Library and I was very, very pleased to find this piece. It's, it's, it's a, an unusual piece. So I said that Russell was a pioneer in dance music. That's absolutely true, but he was also really interested in pop and in folk. Uh, he was good friends with Allen Ginsberg, who I, I think called him a purveyor of bubblegum Buddhism. <laughs> um, he was a Buddhist, Arthur Russell, uh, very interested in country music, all of these things. So this song, experimental for music for Ezra Pound, uh, the text is by Russell himself. And it, it is, for all intents and purposes, a country song. It was a lead sheet that I found over the library that, that I arranged, and really, really excited to, uh, to present it for you today. So we're gonna hear Sai Hashimoto on percussion, we're gonna hear Neil Beckman, guitar, Roger Trafus again on piano, and kind of standing in for Arthur Russell himself is Aaron Wolf, who'll be our on cello and narrator. So here is experimental music for Ezra Pound by Arthur Russell.
2: Well, It wasn't too far back, but a ways, a ways, that she was neck and neck with me, like horses in their younger days. Been in the trading post a lot of times now, since She's been gone, been gone. Almost didn't notice her when she was around, holding the things we'd been trading on. Indian blankets is just one thing we'd have. She was a native too, you know, you know. She brought everything with her when she did come. Wet boots she took off after the snow. Those boots was made of soft leather. Special Indian shoes they wear, they wear. They'd top over as she set them down in her tracks on the floorboards there. I was a white man, well respected in the town, with his shoes, his shoes. Yes, I noticed her soft leather ones and loved her for them. This would be the way she'd greet me, her eyes looking down at my buttons or something, or something. Her eyes were blue. Yes, they were blue, the way that they'd come in. Water, she knew how to use it, take it as it comes from the spring, the spring, snow would melt, she'd be there just the same, could heat it up or cool it off, the same thing. Cabin door wouldn't shut sometimes and she asked me to move it in once, once, it wouldn't That's the only thing she ever asked me for help in all these months. Up north, up high, the blue flash was always the lake. Perfect, perfect, pure, pure. Rising above the skies like rainbow, but even those rainbows aren't for sure. just honey just honey no wax in my teeth she gives herself away money clothes no money but she said one day oh I'm not good enough for you I would only hold you back said she, and I could see her eyes were telling true. But she said to me, oh, I'm not good enough for you, for you. There was red and tears come up in her eyes and a silence the way natives do. I tried to talk her out, my voice just a clatter. Was no use, no use. No, no, I've got to go, she cried all the way and said nothing as she put on her shoes. What could I do? What? I do, I paid her way back to the reservation where it's a hundred degrees, a hundred degrees. She's still there, I know where she is, but I'm really on my knees. What is a white man when he saw the rainbow eyes against the air, the air? I'll tell you about it on my knees and still there.
0: As I know, it's a world premiere by Arthur Russell. It's called Experimental Music for Ezra Pound. And we heard Aaron Wolfe on cello and narration, Roger Trefuse, piano, Neil Beckman, guitar, and Sai Hashimoto, percussion. Uh, Russell was a huge fan of Ezra Pound. And the, the, the poem that you hear is, is a love story, uh, not, not published. But uh, there's a wonderful biography of Arthur Russell by Tim Lawrence that I highly recommend that you read. And we're going to bring up Mary Jane Leach now. I'm going to talk with her while we set up for the last piece by Julius Eastman. It's called The Moon's Silent Modulation and it's an enormous setup. (laughs) Uh, So we're going to chat a little bit. So Mary Jane, thank you so much for being here. Uh, As far as I know, if I'm not mistaken, you actually did know Arthur Russell and Julius Eastman and Tui, all three.
3: Right, and Tui's apartment was the only one I was ever in. I'm feeling very nostalgic with this whole vanishing New York because I lived the first part of the 80s on um, 10th Street between B and C in Kupferberg's old apartment. I don't know if you know who the fugs were, but it was his old apartment. And empty lots on either side of the building, and on the building that had been to the east was Ed Saunders storefront and magazine, and I can't remember the name of it, but I couldn't say it on air anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you. No FCC fines is my motto. Uh, <laughs> did you ever collaborate with Julius on any projects?
3: Uh, only, only once. I met him because we were hired to be vocalists in a theater piece, and um, it was an early morning rehearsal, which was kind of strange and unusual in the new music scene, and he was dressed in black leather and chains and drinking scotch. <laughs> I'm going like, I thought I was pretty cool, but not anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you've written a book about Julius. Yes. As Tell a us about of that.
3: Fact, Gay Gorilla, Julius Eastman and his music is going to come out in paperback. And I just wanted to read something because you said you hadn't seen it yet. And there was a little uh, David Borden, who was in Mother Mallet's uh, orchestra, mm-hmm. wrote an essay about Julius because he'd known him for a long time and he wrote about the moon silent modulation which he had participated in. And so he goes, it began with a chamber chorale entering from the rear of the auditorium in the same way that a gospel choir usually enters a church. There was a lot of improvisation and it was interactive as well, using various noises from the audiences as cues. Julius wrote the libretto, composed the music, and choreographed the dance. I remember some beautiful lighting also, but the lighting designer is not included on the program. Years later, Frances Eastman, Julius's mother, mentioned this piece on several occasions as her favorite. Uh, thank you. Mary Jane, thank you so much. You're quite welcome. I really
0: appreciate it. <laughs> We're going to hear now, The Moon's Silent Modulation by Julius Eastman. Uh, this is not a premiere, but it is a premiere of the, of the version that uh, Shermer put out. This was previously unpublished. And uh, I just wanna say that Shermer is now going through and, and, and publishing a lot of Julius Eastman's music. And uh, a lot of the composers that we're hearing tonight, uh, three out of the four, I, th- I think uh, the music is kind of fragmentary. So it's, it's really great to see some of this coming out now in print, uh, very, very exciting. Okay, we're gonna now hear the piece, members of Opera on Tap, members of Ensemble Connect, and conductor Myla Henry to perform the Moon Silent Modulation by Julius Eastman. The Moon's Silent Modulation by Julius Eastman. We heard members of Opera on Tap Kamala Sankaram, Kristen Gornstein, Kanan Vasudevan, and Matthew Curran, and our wonderful instrumentalists Solomon Takali, violin, Adelia Nardijeva, violin, Chaylee Smith, viola, James Kim, cello, Sam Suggs, double bass, J. Kim, flute, Sai Hashimoto, percussion, Erica Doey, piano, Mika Sasaki, piano, tuned a quarter-tone flat, in case you noticed that, (laughs) and a wonderful Myla Henry conductor. Please, another big hand for that group. (laughs) It was an amazing undertaking to put this whole concert together. Uh, Today's broadcast of Relevant Tones was produced by Dan Goldberg and engineered by Bill Sigmund. Heather McDougall is the project manager. Special thanks to Joshua Savageau, Jeremy Chin, Jordana Lee, Viviana Benitez, Mira Dougall, Amanda McBlain, and Blair Hartman at Lincoln Center. Special thanks to Tom Lee and Steve Knudsen, Josh Davidoff, Opera on Tap, Conductor Mila Henry, the wonderful musicians here tonight, and especially Solomon Takali, who helped me get this all together. Relevant tones is made possible by the generous support of the Aaron Copland Fund for Music and the listener supporters of WFMT. I'm Seth Bosted from the WFMT Radio Network, returning you now to your evening and your Facebook activities.
3: <laughs> All right, thank you, everybody.